and we are blessed today um, that we have uh, a friend of mine and a missionary, uh, Pastor Paul Piarki. And uh, Paul passed in our district for a while and then has been off into Ukraine for like 10 years, something like that, and is just doing a great job over there. Don't want to steal his thunder telling you too much, but he'd be pastor of the International Church. But what I point out is he is doing it in a place that you've been watching in the news a lot in the Ukraine. You know, the Russia kind of coming in and trying to take him over, and, and him and his family have been living in the middle of that. And in the midst of that, trying to lead people to Jesus. So what an opportune time for him to come and to share. So we get a, a glimpse. You know, you see what's going on in the world in the news, but it's a little different story when you hear about it from somebody who lives there. So, Pastor Paul, why don't you come and share with us. Give this guy a hand as he comes forward. It's good to be here this morning. Uh, actually, this is our first time here, but... Uh, you have been supporting us for nine years, and so essentially what I'm doing here today is I'm here to give a report. You're shareholders in a ministry of what God is doing around the world and specifically in Kiev, Ukraine. And so I'm here to say thank you, let you know what God is doing in Ukraine, and, uh, and hopefully what God will continue to do in Ukraine and all throughout Eurasia and Eurasia Northwest. My wife sends her greetings. She's leading worship in a church in, in Milwaukee this weekend, and uh, we have twin 13-year-olds, a boy and a girl, red hair, and all the person personality that kind of goes with that red hair. And uh, we've been here for about a year and are leaving the first week of January to return to Kiev, Ukraine. And uh, we left for Ukraine now nine years ago, having never been there before, but really sensing God leading us to that location. And after being there just a short while, God led us to a, a need in the capital city of Kiev, a city of six and a half million people, so a little bit larger than Chicago, uh, right in the, the northern part of the country. Now, the country is about the size of Texas and about the same shape. And so we live in, like, Dallas and everything that's going on bad in Ukraine right now in the midst of the war is going on in Houston or the east side, right? And so we went and uh, there was an opportunity in the capital city, a church that was really struggling. There were about 18 people in the church. They're talking about closing it. We've been living in the south down uh, on, the, on the Black Sea for about a year, and, and God really led our hearts to, to take over that ministry in, in, instead of allowing it to, to die. And so we took over what is now called International Christian Assembly, and uh, God has just been blessing it. And the eight years that we were there, we saw a lot of great things happen. Uh, when we left to return to the States, we had two services in English, one in Russian, one in Arabic, about 45 nations represented every weekend in the church. So people from really all over the world are in our church. And, and I tell our congregation all the time, this is the closest thing to heaven you're going to get on earth, is our church, where every tribe and every tongue are all worshiping together, because that's what we have to look forward to. You know, the, the great commodities in the world in the past were things like wheat and steel and ore, and, and yeah, they're still out there. But really, in the last five to seven years, we've seen... A migration in the world. Today, the great commodity in the world is a stamp in your passport that says you can leave your country of conflict or your country of little opportunity to go to another place. And all across Eurasia, there are these gateway cities, these multi-million person cities where people are flocking to for opportunity and, and leaving their places of little opportunity. And that's what we're seeing in Kiev. In Kiev, we have 50 universities in the capital city alone. 
And so people are coming in from all over the place to experience Christ and to experience it at our church, hopefully. And many of them are just coming for education or coming for opportunity. We have a lot of Syrians that are flowing in right now and a lot of uh, Ukrainians that are coming in from the east because of the conflict uh, and with that opportunity. You know, in the world today, there are 4,600 unreached people groups in the world. These are 4,600 groups that either geographically or linguistically or, or because of their culture, they have not had an adequate or sufficient communication of the gospel to them. And 4,100 of them are in our neck of the woods, what we call Eurasia. And so we need to be very strategic today in the changing demographics of the world and how can we reach them and we find that these gateway cities are a great way. In fact, there are countries right now in North Africa and the Middle East that you, you and I cannot go to as missionaries, but they want international church, churches to be planted there. Right now, Doha is a great city in Qatar, is inviting international churches and giving them property in the capital city because they want to be a great international city, but we don't know one Christian believer in the entire country. So what a great opportunity with international churches to really be able to, to put our foot in the door of many countries. Uh, just as a, as a for instance of somebody in our church, there was a gentleman by the name of Muhammad that showed up about three years ago. Now, Muhammad came to Kiev to study. In fact, his, his country, Lebanon, sent him there to study Greco-Roman wrestling. Really? Any wrestlers here today? Anybody? He's about this tall, and he's about this wide, solid muscle. He's the future Olympic hope for Lebanon, right? And uh, he's, he came to study Greco-Roman wrestling, and uh, he's a very unique guy. He showed up in our church, like I said, about three years ago. We were renting a, a garage at the time because the prices in Kiev are very similar to that of Manhattan, very expensive to live there uh, and, and to rent a church facility. And so we were in this garage that seated about 200 people, and uh, he would come in, and he would go to almost every service we had because he was multilingual. He speaks uh, Russian and Ukrainian. He speaks Arabic and Farsi, which is uh, an, an Iranian language, and he speaks English, right? You know, if you speak three languages, you're trilingual. If you speak two languages, you're bilingual, and if you speak one language, you're American. Uh, and it really is the case at our church. Uh, I offended some of you who are bilingual. I'm sorry, really. Pig Latin does not count, by the way. But uh, in our church, everybody's very multilingual, a lot of different backgrounds, and Muhammad was one of them. And so he would come to the English and the Russian and our Arabic service, which like goes like five hours, right? The Syrian guys just go forever in their services. And so he would show up, and, and here's the thing about Muhammad. He didn't want anything to do with Jesus. He would just keep coming to everything. Most faithful guy in the church, right? And uh, kept on coming and coming and coming. And, uh, and after a while, we realized something about him and the 20 or 30 first-time guests we receive every single weekend that kind of just flow into the church for a short period of time, that there were a contingency in our church that wanted to belong before they believed. Now, historically, you have to believe in order to be part of our club, right? But there were people that just wanted to be a part of the love that was in the room. You know, if you look at scriptures, it tells us that people will know who we are by our love for each other. And that's what he was drawn to. He was drawn to that love, but he didn't want anything to do with Jesus. And so he was there about a year and a half and really coming to everything, coming to small groups. He was, he was just part of everything. And we, had, we have every single week 10 to 12 Muslims that will be coming into the door just to check us out. And, and he was one of them. 
And finally, Isa, one of our leaders in our, in our Arabic congregation, he studied under a guy named Ravi Zacharias. Anybody know who Ravi is? He studied with Ravi, and he's a, he's a programmer, married a Ukrainian lady. And Isa grabbed Muhammad and said, okay, for the next 30 days, let's read the Quran together. That's the holy book of Islam. You know, some 98% of Muslims in the world have never read a Quran in their life. It's a cultural religion, right? And so Muhammad and Isa spent 30 days reading the Quran together. And after 30 days, uh, Isa said to Muhammad, okay, for the next 30 days, let's set that down and let's just read the Bible together. And that's what they did for the next 30 days. And Muhammad put it this way. He said, I've never been more frustrated in my life. He said, I've known I'm a sinner and I've done things wrong my whole life. Everybody knows that, even in in Islam. But what I could not deal with was Jesus. He said, I couldn't deal with mercy. I couldn't deal with grace. And he was angry, a lot. (laughs) A lot of questions. Very angry for several months. And finally, uh, one Sunday, I come walking into the garage, right? And he's in the other side of the room, and Isa comes running up to me. He says, I have great news. I said, I already know. I said, Muhammad's accepted Christ, right? He said, yeah, how'd you know? I said, I can see it on his face. See, you and I have seen a lot of people who have accepted Christ over the years, haven't we? Right? And some people, it's a cognitive process. It's kind of fire insurance. I don't want to go to hell, and it makes a whole lot of sense. So I'm going to accept Jesus. But for Muhammad, he'd heard sermons for a year and a half, right? And for him, it was a personality transformation. He's one of the most joyful guys I've ever met in my life today. He's filled with joy. He's telling everybody he knows about what Christ has done in his life. Believe it or not, he's a swim teacher at an international school. He's a bowling ball, and he's a swim teacher now, right? <laughs> Sinks like a rock. Can't even lift his hands over his head. He's so muscular, right? Uh, but that's what we see at ICA all the time. But these are people that are only there for six months, a year, year and a half. We have them for a short period of time, very aggressively disciple them, and they go off to the next place. Ukraine is not much of a destination location, if you know what I mean, right? People are wanting to go to Italy or the United States where there's greater opportunity. But Ukraine is that short period of time where we have to grab them and, and give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're looking forward to planting five more of these international churches in the next 10 years. God has blessed us already with two families and two singles that are joining us, and we're going to be partnering with them together with Ukrainians and and people from Russia and people from Lithuania together to be planting churches in what we call gateway cities, these multi-million person cities all across Eurasia to target some of the least reached demographics that are living there. And we just want to show you a glimpse of the seven countries we're going to be targeting first, and it's an area we call Eurasia Northwest. West. And just so you know what seven countries they are, they are uh, Armenia and Georgia, Ukraine, Moldova, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia. And those countries all used to be part of the USSR, all of which broke off in 1991 and are independent countries, and all of which Putin would like to take back, by the way. And we'll touch on that in just a minute. But I want to show you a quick three-minute video that our area put together to give you a glimpse in some of the needs and struggles and opportunities that are available to us in Eurasia Northwest. Are we ready with the video? Great. Let's do it. Countries in Eurasia Northwest have uh, been struggling for hundreds of years to gain their independence, fighting against forces coming from all sides. This whole 
idea of spiritual emptiness is something that we're trying to address. Though we talk a lot about unreached peoples and unreached regions, one of the statements that we need to make clear is that we are also talking about people who have no access to the gospel. It's not like they can all of a sudden decide to go to a church when they wake up on Sunday morning. There simply is no church. It's not just about the fact that they're unreached, but do they have a way to hear the message? Do they have a place where they can access the message of the gospel? A place where they can hear it and a place where they can hear it in a way that they can understand it. So one of the opportunities and the challenges that, that we face is that we have extremes in, in the whole area. So we have people driving Maseratis, Ferraris, we have people driving Bentleys, and then we have people who have never owned a car and probably never will, but they have no running water, no electricity. They're living as if it was a hundred years ago. Somehow we have to reach in each of these social stratas because every one of them needs a chance, really, to hear the gospel in a way that really touches and impacts their lives. So the vision of Eurasia Northwest and the missionaries in this area is to finish the task. And what that means to us is ensuring that the gospel gets to every demographic, every geographical region, and every people group of our seven countries. We need people to come join us. We're praying that God would call people and give them the courage to respond. And we need churches and partners, business people to come and, and team with us so that we can make it happen throughout Eurasia Northwest. The church is God's plan for communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ in every single community. You know, in the 1980s, Coca-Cola had a vision, and that vision was that there would be a Coca-Cola within walking distance of everyone in the world, and they accomplished it very quickly. How come Coca-Cola can do it and the church can't? Right? There should be a church within walking distance of everyone in the world. That that church is a great light to some of the darkest things that are going on in that community. Uh, just as a, as a side note of what ICA, we've been able to, to accomplish and, and start in these, these uh, last few years together. Uh, we looked at our community and we saw that uh, addiction was a huge issue in Ukraine as it is in the whole former Soviet Union. Alcoholism, drug addiction is very high. The life expectancy of a man in Ukraine today is 55 years old, and that's predominantly because of alcohol. You can buy a bottle of vodka cheaper than you can buy a bottle of water in Kiev today. Uh, and it's bought more of. And because of that, we've really fo focused on trying to start up a teen challenge. Many of you may know what a teen challenge is. It's the ministry to uh, individuals with life-controlling addictions. It is a discipleship structure. And so we launched uh, six years ago a coffee house that is a transition from people on the streets that are addicts into faith-based rehabilitation programs. And it just really has flourished. Uh, today we've got 13 coffee houses across Ukraine that are ministering to individuals with addictions. 
partners um, and a staff. Uh, as of right now, we've transitioned 270 individuals off of the streets and into faith-based rehab programs. And so we really believe that really when it comes to addiction, in fact, Suzanne hit it already today, you know, Jesus delivers and takes away addiction in people's lives and, and completely transforms lives. Uh, so praise God what God is doing in Teen Challenge. If you want to see a miracle every single week, get on our Teen Challenge Ukraine Facebook page and you'll be overwhelmed with God, what God is doing. Also, many of you have heard about uh, the great issues having to do with adoption and, and orphans in Ukraine. And it, yes, it's a very complicated and difficult situation. Today there's 60,000 institutionalized orphans in Ukraine today, most of which we'll never see outside of those orphanages, many of which have been displaced because of the war today and are now on the streets. And uh, we've, we've looked at that and said, how can we as a church uh, partner in, in changing this? And uh, our niche has been adoption. As we looked at uh, orphans uh, in, throughout Scripture, we see that God's plans for the orphan is not a better orphanage. It's families. Because that's how he dealt with us, right? He didn't simply make a better world for us to live in. He gave us family in him, right? And so we've looked at that. And, and God has helped us. Uh, the last year we were there, we hosted 57 families, international families for adoption. And in that hosting process, on average, we've saved them somewhere between five to $7,000 in the adoption process. Usually they're there four to 10 weeks. And uh, if you're interested in adoption, I would love to talk to you after service about international adoption. Uh, I truly believe it's the heart of God. I've seen more miracles that have to do with adoption than anything else in my 20 years of pastoring and ministry. Anything to do with adoption, God just opens up the blessings and the floodgates around it. So if you're interested, if God's been speaking to you about adoption, we'd love to talk to you. I'm going to speak for a few minutes in a passage in Luke 14, verses 25 to 30. But before I do, let me just touch real quick on Ukraine. A lot of you are really wondering what's happening there. Uh, essentially what's happening is after 1991, corruption really took over. Uh, in a country that was trying to figure out who they were after, after the Soviet rule. There became a, 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 an elite group, what we call oligarchs, that ruled everything. And then a very poor group that was, uh, that was the rest of the country. In fact, in Russia today, uh, we know that there's a big disparity of, of finances in the United States. A hundred men hold 35% of the total wealth of Russia. 380 million people and 100 men hold 35% of the wealth. And so when you see the sanctions that are going on against Russia, they are targeting those 100 individuals that are controlling much of what's happening in Russia. And in the midst of, this, of everything that's happening in Ukraine with the corruption, uh, the people just got fed up. And about a year ago, you saw them rise up in a revolution to displace the government. The president at the time uh, made $150,000 a year. The light fixtures in his house after he was overthrown were worth over $52 million, just his light fixtures. This is a country with 60,000 institutionalized orphans. What would just his light fixtures have done to that issue, right? And, and these kids are living in, in horrible conditions. And so the people overthrew that governor, government, and in, that government was very pro-Russian. And uh, a new government came in that was very pro-Europe, and in the midst of that, uh, Russia found an opportunity for a land grab and wants to return the allegiance of the government back to them. And uh, they considered everything that happened in that overthrow to be economic terrorism, and uh, 
Russia says they are not in there, but we don't know where those 1,500 tanks have come from, you know. And uh, the battle continues on in the east, and we don't know what will happen. Today is a vital day. 450 seats of parliament will be replaced in an election today. And if that election does not go Russia's way, we don't know what will happen, and it's not going to go his way. And so if you'd be in prayer, but here's the reality. Uh, I've lived in places of peace, and I've lived in places of conflict. The gospel of Jesus Christ flourishes in every environment. Regardless of what's going on, flowers or blood in the streets, the gospel continues to flourish. And so if you pray with us as a church, our church right now is going through great struggles in Kiev as they're trying to hold up the, the refugees, 340,000 refugees have poured into Kiev from the east, trying to figure out whether life is going to be trying to run from the war. So if you'd pray with us as we try to stand next to them and get through a winter where we don't know if there's going to be heat. Uh, Russia has turned off the natural gas. And so, yeah, it's, it's in the news, and it's a big issue. But you know what? If, if we read our Bible, we recognize that that's really what we're going to be looking towards. There's going to be conflict all around us. It's part of sin. And we just need to make the most of it that the kingdom would grow there, as it does here. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 30. It says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down, estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation, is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it, will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to teach us something today. Lord, I thank you for your word that casts light upon the way we live. And Lord, this is a really tough scripture, and I pray that you would help us to apply it to our Mondays and our Tuesdays, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It says large crowds were traveling with Jesus. This makes a lot of sense. At one point, he feeds, feeds over 4,000 men, another over 5,000 men. We don't know women and children. So you can think, you know, hey, if, you know, got nothing planned for dinner, let's go see what Jesus has, you know. So large crowds come for that. Not only that, he's, individuals who could not see are now seeing. People who could not walk are walking. Skin diseases are being freed. People whose minds were controlled by spirits are now delivered. So it's a dinner and a show, right? So everybody's coming to see what's happening with Jesus. He's taking Old Testament concepts that you've tried your whole life to try to apply and difficult, difficult regulations and he takes them down all and he crams them into single statements about love. And it's coming alive to you finally. So you can imagine, so many people are coming around. And so he's walking along, he stops, I'm sure the crowd circle around him and press in. They want to hear what he has to say, what he's going to do next. And this is what he says. If you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, you've got to start hating father and mother, wife, children, yes, even yourself. At this time, and and at scriptures that will follow, people start walking away. Like, good food, I love the love stuff, but this is tough. This is a hard passage to really understand, but what Jesus is using is he's using a contrasting concept for us to understand depth of love. 
He's saying in comparison to these things you love so much, your love, what we'll call today as a preeminent love, has to be greater than all those other things. And, and it's not necessarily a love of emotion. It's a love of devotion, of commitment. Today our, our understanding of love is so, so much configured around my love for french fries for instance you know my love for french fries is totally different than my love for jesus but we use the same word it's a devotion that he's calling us to a preeminent love above everything else and if we want to be his disciple we need to consider what it's going to cost a love above everything else so today I've got four quick concepts. We'll be handing it back and celebrating your pastor today. But uh, just so we can understand, as an illustration, I brought this box up, about a half-full Kleenex box. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing at a church. I guess it's good. People are crying or have colds. I don't know. For an illustration today, anything you put in this box this morning, you will always keep. Okay? It's kind of a small box, but just work with me. It'll never be stolen. It can never die. It will always be yours. What would you put in the box? Now think for just a minute. There's one thing. What would you put in the box? Some of you are thinking my 401k would be a wonderful thing to put in the box. No, it's always there. Some of you, like myself, would think very quickly about the health of Aaron Rodgers. Would be a wonderful thing to put in the box. To know he's always our quarterback deep into his 60s. Some of you are a little bit more introspective and you say something like, I'll take success. To know everything I touch succeeds or to be liked by other people. But Jesus starts hitting to the things that we love the most. Because honestly, the thing that I would put in my box is my wife. More often than not. I borderline worship my wife. It's easy. She's not here today, right? I can say that. You're like me. And these people in our lives mean so much to us that we cherish them, we, we love them, and we're committed to them, and we listen to them with all of our lives, right? And that becomes our preeminent love. And what Jesus is saying in this passage is, above all those other things, yes, even yourself, I want to be the thing you love the most. I want to be in your box, that thing you love above everything else. Four quick ideas. The first one is, whatever you love preeminently is your God. Whatever you love the most is your God. Exodus 20, verses 2 and 3, one of the big ten commandments. You can have no other God before me, he says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You can have no other God before me. What a God is, is the thing that you cherish and you love the most. Now, there are no other real gods. There's only one real God. So when he's talking about other gods, he's talking about idolatry. It's the things we cherish and we love and we're drawn to and we care about so very much. Last spring, it was, I was here in the States, so I got to participate and watch all the March Madness stuff, NCAA basketball. Anybody watch that stuff? Anybody? Just me. You're missing out. Listen, on Yahoo Sports, you could fill out a bracket and try to predict everybody who was going to win. And if you got them all right, Warren Buffett was going to give you a billion dollars. I had my wife fill it out. She picked on the mascots, right? All of her best mascots. She did better than I did. Nobody wanted, obviously, a statistical anomaly. He knew that. He just wanted to get my email. You know, it was completely free. But here it is. For like three weeks after I'd filled that out, all I thought about was a billion bucks. Actually, 621 million after taxes, right? And I was pretty mad about that 379 million dollars during those three weeks too. Like, I can't believe they took all that money from me, you know. 
And I got to a point where it just became something I cherished and I loved a lot. Do you know what I mean? I mean, really, that's a big issue with gambling, right? That God has insufficiently provided for my needs, and therefore I will try to get it some other way. And you start cherishing something that you don't even have. And that's what happened in my heart. And it can be anything that we love so very much that we put before God and it becomes our God. Whatever we love preeminently is our God. Number two, whatever we love preeminently is our Lord. What's the difference between God and Lord? God is what we cherish and we desire so very much. And Lord is the one who makes our decisions. Right? Lord tells the servant what to do. The servant does what the Lord desires. We know that it's foundational to even a relationship in salvation. Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And, obey, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Right? That whole idea, Jesus gets to make the decision in my life. He's Lord of my life. I was pastoring in Green Bay. We had worked in a church plant up there, and I was doing college ministry as an associate, and we had about three different college-age small groups that were working with us. And we had this one couple that was attending our group. They had newly been saved, maybe a year and a half, and another church started attending our group and was attending our church. And, and they called and they said, yeah, Paul, we'd love to come into your office. We've got some news. We want to be the, you to be the first to know. And so I'm thinking, baby, right? And they really love their pastor. I'm first to know, right? That's really cool. So they come in, they sit in my office, and they say, well, we want you to be the first to know we're getting a divorce. I was like, oh. Like they're in my small group every week. They're in my house, right? We're praying together and talking together. And I'm like, what's going on? Is it infidelity? You know, what's happening? No, no, no. But we want you to know it's okay. We've prayed about it and God said it's okay. And I said, okay. Well, we need to talk about that because we all know that the Word of God is our source for faith and practice, right? So let's look at what the Bible says about it a little bit. But before we do that, why don't you just tell me how you're feeling? Hey, tell me what you're thinking about this divorce thing. And they said, well, you know what? We haven't been happy for a very long time. And we feel like God wants us to be happy, so we're getting a divorce. So what was in their box? Happiness. Happiness was their Lord and made all their decisions. Listen, if I allowed happiness to make all my decisions, I'd be 400 pounds today. I would. You know you guys have this mint chocolate chip ice cream they don't have in Ukraine. And I can't pass a Culver's. I'm up 25 pounds since I've been back in the States. I really am. It's bad. You can see it. I don't fit anything. I can't wait to get back to Ukraine. Right? The food in Ukraine. But listen, it's easy for us to make all our decisions on happiness. And this is why Jesus said, yes, even yourself. Because when we love ourselves so preeminently, all our decisions are based on our own personal happiness. And if I look at the life of Paul and the stonings and the time he was beaten and left for dead and bobbing around in the water in shipwrecks, I don't see that related to happiness. Now, we know that there's a different correlation between happiness and joy. We can have joy in the midst of those situations because of our relationship with Christ. But happiness is something totally different. So we don't make our decisions by those things, but we make our decisions by Jesus in our life because he is Lord. So whatever we love preeminently is our God. Whatever we love preeminently is our Lord. Number three, when you love Jesus preeminently, you're able to love others appropriately. Okay, That's why Jesus dealt with people. 
when he started talking about uh, hating those individuals. Because he knows that we've got this propensity in relationship. They're so very important to us. All our relationships are important. I have to love my wife greatly. I have to love my wife or my children greatly. But I can love them better if I love Jesus more. It's important to understand. Do you guys know what a stalker is? Any stalkers here today? Pastor, look around. Any Facebook stalkers? Proud, lit it up. Come on, you bunch of liars. Here's what a stalker is. It's really simple. A stalker is someone who puts someone else in their box and that person crawled out. Really? They loved someone so much, and when that love wasn't reciprocated, their identity fell apart. Because who they were is based upon who they loved. Right? Today, if we love Jesus most, he will never let you down. No matter how great my wife reciprocates her love to me, someday she will die, or I will die. She says, I I have to die first, is what she told me. So, Listen. Someday our lives are all going to be changed. And we can't guarantee anything. But the one thing we can guarantee is the love of Jesus Christ. The reciprocating love that will always be there. So whatever we love the most is our God. Whatever we love the most is our Lord. Third of all, when we love Jesus preeminently, we're able to love others appropriately. And number four, when you have mixed loves, you experience emotional and spiritual warfare in your souls. In other words, if you try putting two things in the box at the same time, it doesn't work. Right? One thing has to be above everything else, and the rest of our loves come in place. Let me show you in Scripture, Matthew 6.24. Jesus is speaking, and he says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one, there's that word, and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In this situation, money. So what he was saying is you put money in the same box as Jesus and they can't coexist. Because one of them is telling you to do one thing and the other one tells you to do something else. Who do you listen to? Right? If you're having a hard time making a decision today, it might be because you have a love issue. Where Jesus is telling you one thing and something else that's perfectly good and wholesome and right in your life is trying to make a decision as well for you. And that place of conflict comes together. When we put Jesus first in our heart and in our lives, there's a peace that knows that he gets to make the decisions. That he gets to guide us. Even if it's not something we would generally make that for ourselves, right? Because if we're in the box, we generally make totally different decisions than what Jesus would make. Well, this is a sermon that's great about lordship and it's great about love. But what does this have to do with missions? <laughs> and this, as I've been preparing this message over the last few months, just thinking over it and Considering it, every single day I recognize that I need to put Jesus first in my life. That the world is so seductive that so often I'm putting something else as my preeminent love every day, it seems like. I need to make a daily decision to love Jesus more than everything else. To count the cost and not be made looking foolish because I haven't considered what the commitment really looks like. That's that tower part. So what does this have to do with missions? Today, there are 4,600 unreached people groups in the world. Today, the people of the world cannot walk to a church. 
There is no church in their, in their neighborhood. They don't have access. The work of a missionary is to create access to the gospel. Today, 4,600 unreached people groups in the world, more than there were when Jesus was here. That tells us that there's a great deal of work to be done. So what is, why is that the case? And here's the hard truth. That the church, that myself, that we so often have something else other than Jesus in our box. That our focus gets on things that doesn't need our focus. That our energies and our finances and our gifts and, and, and our lives are committed and dedicated to good things, just not great things. So my only question for you today What's in your box? What's in your box? Now, everybody, you could be in the church for your whole life. You could be your first Sunday. And this is a question for all of us. This is a question for the pastoral staff because it's so easy to let something else into our hearts and our lives. But what would we as the church of Jesus Christ, not just this church, but the church of Jesus Christ, universal, around this world, look like if we all said, Jesus, we love you most. And we're going to respond to your voice above every other voice. And we are going to do whatever it takes to accomplish your mission, which is to go into all the world and communicate the gospel. It is the mission of Jesus Christ. He has already told us what to do. And now we get to do it. So if you just bow your heads for just a moment. If you'll just identify right now. It could be just something that's today. It could be something that's for the last month. What's in your box? What do, you, what do you love the most right now? What, what is controlling your decisions? What is the thing that you cherish and you dream of and you desire more than anything else? And like I said, it could be just a wonderful thing, just not the thing. But as we are willing to step aside and say, Lord God, I'm going to put you first in our lives. There's often a response that comes with that, a practical response. And so if you'll just take a few moments and tell Jesus you love him. We sing the songs, right? But just say it in your own unique, you way. God, I love you. Lord, I love you so much. You're above everything else in my heart. Then the next moment, the Holy Spirit might reveal to you what it looks like to apply that. It could be that the way you're living your life, although good, is not the way that Lord would want you to live your life. And today, that change needs to happen. That subtle or drastic change needs to happen to respond to him. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. I'm going to pray for you. But I'm also going to pray for Ukraine. Today's a big day. And uh, it's, it's a hard day. If you'll pray with us that, that God's will would be done and miracles would go across this land and peace would be known in a new way and the church of Jesus Christ would advance in a miraculous way. Let's pray together. Lord, I just thank you that you love us so much that you desire that love to be reciprocated. Lord, you tell us that even to be your disciple, that in contrast to everything else, it would look like hatred to the things that you've called us to love. So, Lord God, help us to put you first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
And all these things will be added unto you. Lord God, help us to, to raise you up as first in our lives. To be guided by you as our God and our Lord with peace of mind in our relationships and our decisions. And Lord God, we pray for Ukraine that your will would be done there, but your kingdom would be advanced. That evil will be dealt a blow today because of our prayers. And Lord God, that your righteousness would be raised up amidst a dark land. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.